Have you ever wondered what it'd be like to have to flee your own country, spend days or weeks in a leaky boat on dangerous rolling seas, and then arrive in a new country where you are terrorised even more? Well, that's the life confronting millions of people in this world who have no choice but to seek asylum. All these people want is a fair go, but here in Australia, our government, in our name, treats these desperate people with cruelty and inhumanity. Here at 3CR, we aim to give these people a voice, a chance to speak out and let you know that they are just like us, people with hopes and aspirations, people who deserve to be treated as we would expect to be treated if we found ourselves in this position. Refugee Radio is the voice of refugees. It's hard to go on living when your future is denied. I am sailing on the clear blue water. We sail for human rights, indigenous sovereignty, and climate justice. Our destination is Manus Island. Join us for the Freedom Flotilla. Sailforjustice.org. Get on board. A 3CR supporter. Good morning and welcome to Refugee Radio. I'm your host, Celine Yap. And with me today on this lovely Sunday, I have the pleasure of um, speaking to Mark Guicamp, who is a refugee rights activist um, who recently visited Greece, and also Maria Maratidou, who is not herself an activist, she says, but um, she comes from Greece and she's just recently been back. Um, so... I think for her, it's it's a lot more of a personal experience and, and what she's seen and, and heard and been, I guess, coming from that background understanding as well. So um, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank yeah. you for having us, Celine. So I just wanted to start off by saying, could since your recent trip to Greece, could you give us an overview of the refugee situation there at the moment? Yeah, it's a pretty dire situation. Um there's around 100,000 estimated, um, both in the Greek mainland and on the islands. Um, I suppose the focus has been on the islands because people remember, you know, close to a million coming across from Turkey in 2015 when it was mostly good news stories, you know, people welcoming them and they were only there on the islands for a short time in transit through Greek mainland and up to northern Europe. Um, but since then, it's changed very much. And now, rather than being a transit point, these islands are now... People aren't allowed to leave them until they get a refugee decision. So you've got incredible overcrowding. Um, the main refugee camp on Lesbos, for example, called Moria, um, was designed to house around 2,000, but there's 5,000 there. And on a neighbouring island, Samos, the main detention centre can accommodate around 700 or is meant to, but there's around 4,000 on that. So, you know, lack of food, lack of medical facilities and things like we see in Nauru, like children, you know, contemplating suicide and going into shutdown um, is what we're also seeing in some of these camps. Um, well, we might get onto this a bit later, but since the deal between the EU and Turkey to try and stop people coming into Europe, um, you know, the people are now using the Evros River, which is up in northwest Turkey, northeastern Greece, 
to come across, which is a very dangerous crossing. Um, so figures I saw for last year, there was about 48,000 um, who came from Turkey to Greece. It was still 32,000 of those 48 tried to come by the islands despite the horrible circumstances. And then about 16,000 tried to cross this river. And, you know, there's been a lot of arrests, people drowning in that river and extremely overcrowded camps um, um, on the Greek side as well. Um, and then you've obviously got the mainland where people are. Um, you know, lots of them. I met on our recent trip in Victoria Square, which is not far from central Athens and a place where a lot of the refugees are living. There's refugees who've been sleeping in the park for about four months. I met a young Iranian guy who was 21 who, who was like, can you try and find me a place to live? Um, you know, but there's also some inspiring stuff going on on the ground as well. Um, so let's just... Um could we just quickly go through the timeline? Because I, I do remember in 2015 how all those stories were coming out, like you mentioned, um, where, you know, the particularly the Greek community were so caring of these people that were arriving. There were photos of how they welcomed them, like that were um, shared in the media all over the world. Um, when did the Turkey and EU deal come in to action? Um, it was signed in March 2016. Okay, so a year later. So, as I said before, in 2015, there was close to a million mm. um, estimated. Um, I think 860,000 or so into Greece alone. Um, so, yeah, the EU was desperate um, to try and stop the flow into Germany. I mean, you had all those countries like um, now called Northern Macedonia. You have... Um, Serbia, you have Hungary, all these places building walls and stopping people's progress through. Um, but yeah, there were promises made to Turkey, like I think there's around um, um, 70,000, oh no, more than that, um, 75, well, millions anyway of Turkish people living in the EU. Um, and one of the things Turkey wanted by turning off the tap of refugees coming into Europe was the loosening up of travel for those Turkish people without papers inside of Europe and also to try and reopen the talks for Turkey to, to join the EU. Um, and then the other thing that was going to happen was that people who were rejected were going to be deported or voluntarily, as they say, repatriated back to Turkey. But really, this deal has, you know, it slowed down the people, the rate of people coming in. But, you know, they didn't loosen the travel for the Turks in Europe. And, you know, if anything, since the coup attempt in Turkey around the middle of 2016, there's been a real clampdown by Erdogan on, you know, political and civil rights. We just saw the Women's Day, International Women's Day march in Istanbul with tear gas just a few days ago, you know, the arrest of journalists, of academics. And now, actually, there's been Turkish people joining the Syrians and the Afghans fleeing Turkey. Um, so you can't... They tried to say Turkey's a safe place, but it's a very difficult argument to sustain in the current environment in Turkey. Yeah, I've read a lot of, um, of refugee reports saying that um, their uh, refugee 
visa status was not approved and that they were meant to get sent back to Turkey because Turkey was considered a safe place. Um, I should also state for everyone, just to be clear, that a lot of the refugees coming through, a lot of them are from Syria. And so they come from they come from Syria to Turkey and then Turkey to Greece. Um, is that right? And then Greece, if, if their status is rejected, they get sent back to Turkey. Well, yeah, now Turkey itself, I mean... It's easy for us to criticize Turkey, and we do, but they have had up to three and a half million Syrians, um, which, you know, when you look at the hysteria about a few thousand people in Australia, puts things into perspective. But, yeah, now the Turkish government is has sort of made a bit of peace. It was originally supporting aspects of the opposition to Bashar al-Assad, but they've kind of, you know, through Russia, they've kind of smooth things over somewhat and now they're trying to actually forcibly send people back. They've, In some ways, they've more successfully built a wall with its southern border than what Donald Trump has with Mexico in terms of stopping the Syrians from coming across anymore. Um, so, you know, while, again, there were good news stories back in 2013-14 about the treatment of Syrians in Turkey, it's, it's now a very, very difficult situation. Um, the deal with the EU sort of promised some um, funding and some of that, I think, you know, in the order of billions of euros, um, some of that has gone through, but certainly not all that was promised. Okay, and I guess that brings us back to the camps in Greece. So because of the processing of their refugee status visas, a lot of them are stuck there because this can take up to two years, yes, or more <laughs> for some people. Um, and this has caused the overcrowding of the camps in Greece. Yeah, um, we just had a plane go there. Oh, that's all right. City, Sydney, yeah. <laughs> um, so you're talking about people who are rejected in Greece? Yeah, so we're talking about how the camps are, um, because of this situation, the camps are overcrowded in Greece. Um, people are waiting on um, their status to be approved or rejected, and that can take up to two or more years. Um, and in the meantime, they are stuck in these small camps, um, overcrowded camps, and the situation seems to be worsening over time. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, the the mood of the refugees on these islands has fallen. You know, before going to these islands, they were welcomed. It was a point of transit. Now they're held there for years, and it takes ages. You know, there's such a backlog in terms of the applications. They have EU refugee assessors in there, but it is taking a long time. I did read a report in January that Greece, because of the overcrowding and the pressure on them, they were going to open two centres on the mainland. Yeah, one in um, Thessalonica and sort of, somewhere else. Two, yeah, one yeah. in the north near Thessalonica and one yeah. in central, central Greece. Um, but I haven't seen reports of whether that's started to happen yet. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it, it, is a, it is quite a terrible situation. And, you know, with the Greek government, you know, there was a lot of euphoria when the Syriza uh, government was elected in early 2015. Um, but, you know, there, there's also, I guess, quite a bit of disappointment that they haven't um, been able to show a marked qualitative difference from other European governments in terms of how they're dealing with the issue. It is a very complicated issue. Um, what I was interested in asking you too was um, 
through your actions of the Greek people. Obviously, I remember uh, in 2015 when um, when this whole thing started, uh, the Greek community was incredibly welcoming and caring and would bring them food and try and try and put them up as as, as much as they possibly could. And even even to this day, um, there are so many little um, organizations trying to make a difference, trying to integrate them into um, municipalities and things like that. Um, but there, obviously there also has been a negative um, reaction to that um, by the far right in Greece. So could you tell us yeah. a little bit more about that? Yeah, if I'm, if I can jump in yeah, absolutely, and Maria. to give a bit of perspective, before, let's say, before 2015, when the so-called financial crisis started, there were two main reactions within the Greek community. One was an, um, a reaction of hostility, anger, doggy dog competition, depression, and the other one was um, the creation of solidarity networks. Uh, networks where free exchange of products and services were um, occurring. So uh, people were trying to deal with the consequences of the financial crisis collectively on one hand and individually on the other. So when the the refugees started coming, which is not 2015, by the way, I mean, refugees were coming long, long time ago. So I remember when I was in Lesbos teaching a um, in a village in the north, which is very close to the Turkish coast, in 2010, every day, I remember we were, um, or every other day, people would say another boat came, 10 people, 20 people. And they were walking from the northern part of the island to the city, mm-hmm. which is like 50 kilometers. Um, but at the time, and we were thinking of how to deal with it, and then even at the time, there were people were dealing it individually or small groups of people were just helping out. There was a lady who had a mini market uh, by the beach and she was just giving food. And it was, uh, it was really, yeah, that was the situation back then. But in, in 2015, what, what changed was that this flux became visible. So the numbers were so great that, you know, tens and hundreds, of people were walking from one side of the island to the other, and so to just give an experience, some people, um, some old man in Madamados, this is another village somewhere in between in Lesbos. They were telling us that initially, when we saw people coming walking through our village, we were giving food, we were providing, you know, come and have a shower, use the toilet, but then and everybody was helping everybody. But then people started becoming thousands. And when you have thousands within a village of a couple of hundreds, then people started locking themselves in. Because it was uh, too much. man was saying, yeah. I, I didn't feel comfortable anymore yeah. reading my newspaper coming out of my housing. Yeah. So then, at the, still at the time, in 2015, it was based on uh, volunteers or in, you know, um, small groups but it was not state responsibility how the people would be moved from one side of the island to the other. Um, and, well, to, go, to get back to your question about how people reacted, um, as you pointed out, there were, you know, depending on people's ideological background, there were different reactions. But I think that overwhelmingly, even today, even though there were, it was a um, situation that, 
uh, far-right, xenophobic, um, you know, ideas uh, could very easily prosper, um, people overwhelmingly responded in a welcoming um, manner and helped as much as they could, giving um, food, giving clothes. Um, the latest um, debate is about schooling. So obviously the Ministry of Education encouraged refugee children to enroll, and there were a few schools everywhere around the country, in Ireland as well as in the mainland, in Thessaloniki, in Lesbos, in Athens, where parents were um, opposing that. And on the other hand, you had teachers and other parents who were trying to, you know, argue for the opposite. And, yeah, that that was... That's the picture, if I can. Yeah, put that's it right. definitely very interesting. Um, and yeah. you were, you mentioned, well, actually, Mark mentioned earlier about in- other interesting grassroots responses that yeah. have come yeah. from this. Yeah. So the, there, there's so there's so many. I mean, mm. last time we went to to Greece uh, because I come from Thessaloniki. Uh, we met someone from Alcyoni. So Alcyoni is a, is an one of the NGOs. It's funded by a German Christian charity organization so they actually found them they when the um, scenes in Idomeni were happening many if you remember it's the, the a little village within the border between the borders between Greece and northern Macedonia and uh, where the people were sort of stuck thousands of people so people were as I said individually or in small groups were volunteering helping so this particular organization saw them they said okay you're doing a good job we're gonna uh, fund you, and so for the past two years, they provide in Thessaloniki uh, free food, shower, um, washing machine, um, as well as donated uh, by the locals things like clothes, uh, sleeping bags, and st- stuff like that. And they uh, visit this center about 200 to 250 people every day. That is one of the NGOs, but. Another one that is, I feel, what, what you said, more grassroots, is, I guess, uh, PICPA. This is in Lesbos. Uh, the official uh, name is called Lesbos Solidarity, but everybody calls it PICPA because of where it's hosted. PICPA used to be an abandoned summer camp, sort of summer school camp. Um, so these are completely self-organized. This is completely self-organized. They don't get any funding from any... It's all based on crowdfunding. They have created... Um, now. That was a year ago that we went there, yeah? And uh, they were about to start a preschool open to refugees and local children. And um, it was also a progressive preschool, so sort of uh, with um, open open uh, space, sort of, um, um, yeah, educational system. And... Um, yeah, this, these people, they're uh, hosting the most vulnerable in, um, like, people with disabilities, children, uh, um, the most vulnerable of the refugees. And they try to create the spaces as well to um, make refugees involved and active as well. So they have a choir, a choir where they have a drama group, they have uh, workshops like arts and crafts workshops that they organize, things like that to um, 
basically help refugees integrate yeah, and become active members of the community. Um, in Lesbos, there are three main, let's say, um, uh, spaces. One is the Moria Camp. This is run by the government. And this is the first thing you, this is where you register as soon as you arrive in the island. And the other one is called Karatepe. This is, um, it's not, it's run by the council, by the, the city's council, Mitilini's city's council. And the tents are provided by the United Nations, but that's all that they have provided. And it is ideal. People say that it is ideal the way it is structured because it takes into account cultural differences between refugees, so they have sort of structured it in a way that is in small villages. Um, but they have one very strict rule. They do not accept people beyond their capacity. Um, and then the other one would be, uh, as I said, um, yeah, uh, PICPA. I think, um, yeah, that's my... <laughs> The, the one that I, I, I feel that I, I would encourage more people to volunteer for or donate if they want. This is what I'm I'm mostly confident about uh, recommending, yeah. Well, I did speak to Mark yeah. at some point earlier about vo- um, volunteering and um, how at the start of this whole situation, a, a lot of people from all over the world did turn up uh, to volunteer. Um, uh, and you you wanted to talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, so um, another initiative, I have visited both when we were there in September 2017 and again over Christmas, like just in January, just gone, um, is a hotel in Athens, not far from Victoria Square, where I said a lot of the you know, refugee communities are. You walk around the streets there, there's the Kabul restaurants, there's you know, other Afghan shops, Syrian shops, etc. So this hotel, the City Plaza Hotel, um, had been abandoned for some time. Um, and about two and a half years ago, the movement um, decided, you know, to squat this hotel. And they got support from local construction workers to, you know, hook up electricity and hook up various other utilities. Um, and that has housed, you know, up to, you know, it's a drop in the ocean, um, but an inspiring drop nonetheless, you know, around 300 to 400 um, refugees have been housed in this hotel um, and they were saying that when this first started in um, early 2016 um, or mid-2016 I should say um, they were absolutely swamped with volunteers not only from all across Europe um, but from the States, from Australia, New Zealand um, and so on but you know when I was there this most recently, they were saying, look, you know, the issue isn't as sexy anymore. It's not on the front page. Um, so they're actually struggling now um, to get enough volunteers. All right. Well, um, we, we can share the link for that if, if they have a website or a way for people. Yeah, to, most, yeah. certainly. Because yeah. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of what people the, would be interested in still doing that. Yeah. What, what they seem to have negotiated, though, with the Athens um, local government. Because they're also a little bit worried this hotel was, you know, it was built as a hotel, not as permanent accommodation. Mm. So they're worried about the safety of some of the balconies and things like that. Um, so the Athens government, uh, local government, has, I think has secured them a public housing building. 
uh, nearby. So that, when we were there in January, they were sort of having discussions about do we accept this offer or not? If we leave City Plaza, do we try and squat another place? Um, you know, if we accept the Athens government's offer, is that like going against the spirit of the squat? So all these discussions are happening. Um, but it seems like most of them are like seeing this as a bit of a victory if they get this public housing building, which is, you know, much Safer. more designed for permanent yeah. <laughs> living. Um, but yeah, the, the sort of movement underneath that will continue. And what they were also saying to me was, you know, this, this has been open for everyone to participate. You know, there are other squats um, in Athens where some refugees live, but they're very closed and people don't can't really necessarily know about them unless they are, you know, Part of the in community. the know yeah. and know yeah. people. Can, um, I, can I make one comment about the international volunteers as sure, well? Very absolutely. Short so back in 2015, there were... Obviously, as you said, many volunteers from all over the world, but also many of them had an attitude of going for holidays to visit Greece and then why not just have the experience of go and provide my services for a couple of weeks and say and, and then go back. Now, NGOs are much more, um, they require much more commitment, commitment. and dedication. Yes. So, for instance, in Alkioni, they said if you can't commit for two months, then we we won't accept you. Yeah, because all in the coming and going this, can't be good. Yeah. Yeah, in order to make this distinction about people who are actually, you know, willing to to provide the services for the sake of refugees and not for the sake of Themselves. having the experience. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, we we I was going to touch on the the dangers associated with volunteer what what we call volunteerism, um, mm-hmm. which is yeah. that, and and it's people doing it for their own benefit, not for the benefit of the people they are trying to help. So that's yes. good to know that that's been, um, that's under control at the moment. Um, yes. We're about to run out of time. So um, I could we could talk to you for a whole hour, but unfortunately we only had half an hour. I'm really sorry yes. about that. Um, so I've asked you guys to choose a song um, to go out to for this show. Um, could you yes. could you tell us a bit, a bit about that? Yeah, so... Obviously, because Greeks has have got the experience of um, being refugees themselves and being migrants for so many years, we have plenty of songs. However, the song I've chosen is called Mesu Vosporu Tastena. So it literally means um, within the Bosphorus Strait, and that's the island between that connects uh, the northern borders of Greece and Turkey. Um, and it's sort of... Um, it might have a reference between sort of the friendship for that um, the friendship between Turks and Greeks, but to me, it's more like promoting friendship between people, regardless of religion and ethnicity. That's so absolutely that wonderful. I, I find, yeah. <laughs> Thank I, you. I also like this song, so. <laughs> oh, perfect. <laughs> well, hopefully, you can hear it. I'm not sure if I am when I okay, unplug the phone. Right. <laughs> um, well, thank you so very much for being with us this yeah, morning and sharing all your you insights. It's been wonderful. Um, so, you've been listening to that was Mark Goodcamp and Maria Maratidou speaking about their experiences um, in Greece around the, the refugee situation there. Uh, you've been listening to Refugee Radio. Please stay tuned for the Latin American update.
Shri 